Hi there, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening to the AFS Viewfinders podcast. It's so nice to be able to sit and talk with Kat Candler today. Um, Kat has been a part of the Austin film scene um, for a long time. In fact, I think the first time I met you was um, jumping off bridges time wow. when we were going out to the first, when you were going out and doing some of the first, I think, public non festival stuff when I was at Alamo Draft House. Yeah, that was, that was 2006 right. or seven or something. Six. 2006, yeah. yeah. So you've been doing this for, and you had been doing it for a while before then. So you've been making movies uh, now for a while. And you're, it's, all, it's really a thing like where we see the great success that you have. I think everybody in Austin is like, that's, that's our cat. We're excited to see you have such great success. Um, and so, like, you know, Hellion broke out. And you're doing terrific with that, obviously. And that, that was big for us. And now uh, we're going we're gonna to share a new short that you've made yeah. uh, called Rusted, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, thank you so much for being here, Kat. Thank you so much for having me, as always. So um, I, one of the things that when I was kind of thinking about your uh, career is, like, I'm contacting you and I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, I'm reading your bios and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, of course, Cat works at Arts and Labor. That's a big part of, like, working filmmakers have to go out and work and do things other than pre-production for their next film, other, other than writing their next film, other than going and directing films. Like, so you work at Arts and Labor, and you – what do you do at Arts and Labor exactly? <laughs> what do you do? Um, well, I mean, just to kind of give people a background, I had a day job. I mean, I've I've worked I worked in a movie theater at age fifteen. That was one of my first jobs, and then I had a day job. I worked at Book People for five years, which was heaven for me because I was surrounded by books and stories all the time. I worked at an artificial intelligence software company for five years, doing like travel coordinating. So I, I I've worked forever um, since I could get a worker or one of those little worker permits at an early age. Um, and then I started teaching, I think in 2007, 2008, because my AI company was sort of pushing me out to go part-time. And so I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay rent, um, kind of important. And so I just started teaching and really kind of fell in love with uh, being surrounded by students, being surrounded by youthful, wide-eyed excitement. Um, and then sort of my day-to-day -day now is, you know, arts and labor is where I office, and it's just a, a hodgepodge of filmmakers and sound mixers and colorists, and so you're constantly surrounded by projects going on, whether it's commercial work or the latest feature or a short or some experimental thing someone's doing, um, which is just, it's nice to constantly be inundated with creativity, um, but my day-to-day, -day, like, paying rent, which is still a struggle and I think will always be a struggle for indie filmmakers, is teaching. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to make money a little mm -hmm. bit at making films, which mm -hmm. is a rarity sometimes. Um, but teaching is sort of my, my love. I'd rather make very little to no money hanging out with a bunch of kids talking about movies than working at a corporate job making a shit ton of money. Yeah, let's talk about that because, like, that's a thing that, like, I think that that's a that's a sort of value element that I think that we need to really communicate more. It's like most working filmmakers aren't out there to make it big. They're not out there to break it to like go, okay, well, someday then I'll be living, you know, in the Hollywood Hills. It's not what you're about. Yeah. No. No. I mean, shit. I mean, I feel like. If any of us really wanted to make a ton of money, we could have totally sold our souls a long time ago. Not a long time ago, but, you know, a little while ago. 
be making things that we weren't really proud of and weren't really excited about. But I think what I love about being in this community is everybody is so true to the art and so true to just making things that they feel passionate about and that their hearts are um, really just enveloped in. Um, But yeah, no, the money, as nice as it would be to make a lot of money, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. I would love to own a house. I don't own a house. Um, That would be awesome. But at the heart of it, I just wake up every day and I'm excited to hang out with students and talk about the first time they get to see um, some obscure movie and then just get to go make stuff. And movies is really the ultimate collaborative art because you can't, you know, you could make movies by yourself. Many have. But like really getting your team together, getting the people that you know and you like to work with and you love to work with and going out making movies, it's like that's. That has to be teamwork, and you have to love what you're doing. I mean, especially if there's no, there's no big remuneration at the end of this for most people. Yeah. Um, you you might spend a lot. Of, like if we were to look at the hours that you know you spend making a film and break that down, then very few filmmakers probably make more than ten dollars an hour. If that, I if mean, that. I mean, if I yeah. could really break down what I made on Hellion, I probably would be in the negative. Yeah. I would have been paying. I probably did. Yeah. Is it is it worth it? Would you do that? Would you do like a hellion a year, knowing that you're going to lose a little money? Um, I mean, that's a great question. Actually, uh, I would like to be making a little bit more money um, and being able to pay my rent. My husband's been pretty amazing support system financially and emotionally over the years. But um, I, I would probably do it once or twice. But beyond that, I mean, the reality of life and having to pay bills and having you know, I, I have a husband. I don't have kids. That would be a whole different ball game if I did have kids. Um, but the reality is that I, I need, you know, I'm I'm getting up there. I have, you know, I would like to have some sort of retirement plan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is sad to talk about. But yeah, no. Um, but I mean, Hellion was such a magical experience for all of us. From you know, making a little baby of a short film that we had no expectations for because we just wanted to get back out on the playground and make something and hang out with our friends and then you know flash forward two years later or two and a half years later and actually being at Sundance with the feature I mean the whole thing was just beyond magical for all of us and it being the I was at that Sundance it being the buzz movie that Sundance the one that was you just everywhere you went hellion 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 it was so. It was such a sweet experience, and one that you know I'd love to duplicate, but I don't think I will ever be able to duplicate that. Just in a sense of the you know first big project with movie stars and shooting in Kelly Williams, our producer's hometown, with his mom and dad on set all the time. I mean, you just can't you can't do that every time. But you try. I mean, you try best you can. For me, like, I have a no-asshole policy on set, so you just try and surround yourself with really sweet, good people who are in it for the craft and then for the the magic of it. So you have a no-asshole policy on set. Like, how do you – do you just know in advance? Do people's reputations precede them? Or do you ever – is there ever a time where you're like, uh-oh, this grip – you got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, it definitely, like, when I, with the new short, like, the first time I talked to the producer who hired me, our very first conversation was, like, I don't work with assholes, and I think it's really important that it's a trickle-down effect from the producers, from Josh Hutcherson and Michelle Hutcherson. I mean, everybody knows, like, we don't, we don't work with jerks, because it just ruins, and 
makes the whole experience kind of miserable. But yeah, I mean, when there's a bad apple on set, you definitely have to figure out how to kind of pluck it out of the happy family that you're trying to create. How do you, how would you do that? Have you done that? I haven't personally, but I definitely have had producers who have mm-hmm. had to do that um, gently, very gently. Very carefully, yeah. 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 I mean, you try not to burn bridges, but you also try and protect a process that you hope creates something. That, so that sort of process and sort of creating that, that culture when you're on the set and, like, with everything leading up to the set, you know, you're going to be working a lot of hours and you're going to be smelling people's underarms a lot and stuff. It's like that That has to be – that has to be – when I look at, like, all the things that a director has to do, not alone – you know, in addition to, like, producers have to do, but all the things the directors have to do, it seems like that's got to be really one of the most important and undervalued uh, parts of it is creating that culture, keeping everybody in the mind space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you, for me, I try and hire a good hearted people, but people who know way more than I do about the craft and, um, they're going to do their best work under circumstances and an environment that is nurturing and like supporting them and not being like, yelling at them or like cursing out people or yelling on the set for me that doesn't work like I I would flip out if there was just like hardcore fighting going on I would just get really sad and probably curl up in the corner and like be like why are we doing this come on guys how could anybody keep their how could anybody keep like their looseness and their invention and their you know willingness to expose the inner parts of themselves if that kind of energy is around exactly I mean and that for actors most importantly who are putting their faces and their their literally their hearts on screen and their emotion and so fragile emotionally like you have to protect that for them and you have to just really protect that space and it comes from everybody on set and making everybody making sure everybody is supporting one -hmm. another at every level I feel so grateful to actors for what they do. Like, I really do. Like, a lot of people, like, look, at that's just, that's basically a clothes horse on screen. It's like, even, I, I can't bear, like, when people, like, say bad things about actors, because it's like, no. I mean, even if somebody's like, you know, like, I mean, I guess there are bad actors, I guess, but, like, to, to talk about, like, oh, this star actor or that star actor, you know, is terrible, is, is a jerk or something like that. Like, if they're, they're out there giving you things that, it's really a gift. Yeah, they're Even burying they're their souls. Making a lot, maybe, but like they're still they're they're giving you that, and they have the ability, the rare ability to give you that. Yeah, no, it pisses me off when people are like, "Oh, acting is so easy. Like you guys are the ones that have it easy." I'm like, "Fuck that, no, man. <laughs> like you're not the one like having to like pour your heart and soul on screen in front of a bunch of people with cameras and cell phones, and like it's that's freaking hard. Like I couldn't do it." Yeah, it's, it's also one of the, I, I think, when those of us who love films, like, we think, oh, the director does all of this, you know, and then maybe we learn a little bit more, and we're like, oh, also the writer does this, and maybe we learn a little bit more, like, oh, but the editor, of course, you know, has it. and then we learn a bit more, <laughs> but eventually it kind of trickles down to, like, the same thing that every child who watches a movie knows, is that the actor's contribution, the actor's creative contribution is so important, and what they're bringing, and the things that they're contributing and the ideas that they're having i'm sure that for a director like you i mean i can just i've never seen you on set directing but i'm sure that you're the kind of director who's so responsive to an actor's suggestions or am i misreading oh you? no no no. i'm <laughs> I, I try and be highly collaborative with them from the very beginning like we'll sit down and go th- like just rip 
the script to shreds and talk about characters. I come up with like huge character outlines that we kind of trade off and really build together. Um, but no, I'm, I love, love, love actors and have mad respect for what they do. Um, and on, yeah, on set, it's just, you know, if, if it's not working, you figure out if it's improv, it's switching out the lines and you just kind of like make everybody go away and like have this little conversation with them and try and, I mean, it could be so simple as like, I don't understand why I'm, I'm sitting in this moment. All right, well, let's figure it out. Cause like for me, it's not about, um, it's not like a power kind of the struggle between actors it's like I just want to put truth on screen and put pure honesty on screen and if it's not working like audiences aren't going to buy it and that breaks your film is that something that you're consciously thinking about all the time like truth honesty is that is that something that you're waking up okay truth honesty oh I realize that scene needs work because it's not honest yeah absolutely from the page like when I'm writing I'm Anything that feels false or, like, if I get notes from another a friend, a filmmaker friend or a writer friend that, you know, it could be the tiniest little thing. Like, I wouldn't use a number two pencil in this scene. Like, all right, let's get rid of that number two pencil. What do we bring in? Like, a felt tip pen? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, like, every single little detail. Because, I mean, even if you don't catch it, it there's just sort of an organic quality of everything kind of tying together mm-hmm. to create something authentic that an audience responds to and connects with and if they don't if they don't connect and they don't believe then they're out you know Uh, and all this sounds great to me and i'm also going to bring it back to the fact that maybe you're making a movie on a three-week or a four-week or a six-week schedule um is there ever a time when you just got to go we're losing our light let's just do it this way can we get through this yeah i well so on the flip side of that i'm a highly crazy organized person (laughs) So I will spend so much time in pre-production to make sure that every little nitpicky, stupid detail is considered and, like, gone over and over and over again so that I'm not – I'm not really in that situation mm-hmm. hardly ever um, because I spend so much time in pre-production. And I've, like – I have overheads. I have shot lists. I mean, we've mapped it out countless times so that when we do it on set, things are a lot looser and sure. we don't have to, like, be like – oh, we didn't get the 30-shot setups that you were thinking you'd get in an hour. You're giving yourself the freedom to be a little bit looser. Absolutely. Yeah, by by having that structure there. Yeah. I mean, there hasn't really been... I mean, every film... You know, the last few films that I've had, there's fewer moments where I'm like, God, I wish I could have gone, gone back mm-hmm. and done this or done something different. And oftentimes it's more in the edit than it is mm-hmm. from what we got on set. Mm-hmm. Or do you shoot a lot of coverage? I do. Uh, not like a ton. Um, I'm pretty, uh, I'm very aware of time. Um, again, have heavy pre-production. Um, but I shoot like normal, like coverage of something. And, uh, and then with takes, I'm, I don't know, like four or five takes. Mm-hmm. Is it tricky? Are, are you ever, is there ever improvisation happening during the shot that you then have to figure out how to, how to do coverage on that? And is that ever tricky? Well, there's a whole, like, not a whole scene, but kind of a third of a scene in the short that we just did that's Mm -hmm. all improv. And Mm -hmm. we were just waiting for an airplane to go overhead, and the actors were just doing their thing. I'm like, oh, my God, that's gold because it's just so – it's so real. Mm -hmm. So I'm totally using that. Um, And Hellion, I knew that my my kid, my boys in it, some of them were way better at improv than they were at saying the line. Mm -hmm. So you just figure out how – um, to get the best performance, and a lot of what they did was improv because they're just 
you know, they're real boys saying real things that sound way better than what I came up with on the page. Are kids naturally just good actors? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in the casting. Like, we, I mean, I saw hundreds and hundreds of kids who, like, you couldn't, like, rip a performance mm-hmm. out of them if you tried desperately. Um, it's just about finding the right kids, you mm-hmm. know, who kind of have it and understand it. Because there are plenty of times where, and I mean, we were we were going all across Texas looking for these kids. So I saw kids at motocross races. I saw kids at schools, at community centers, all across the spectrum. And some of them just didn't get it. You'd get in the little room, audition room, and you'd improv a scene with them. And they just, you know, in their little eyes, they're like, I don't understand what we're doing and yeah. what's happening. You're like, it's okay. Well, no worries, no worries. Like, And then you move on to the next kid. But, yeah, there are few and far between in terms of kid actors that are that spark. When you watch, like, child performances sometimes in films, there's – Sometimes you almost get a feeling it's like the director was just so close in that it's like I'm watching a puppet show. It's like like the director's like, look over here, look over there. Mm-hmm. There are definitely child performances where you're like, that's actually, I'm sure that director, you know, got through that, but that is not a realistic child performance. Yeah. That's most child performances, I think. Well, you also trick them a little bit. Like there, in the short Black Metal, we had a five-year-old who, um, she was awesome, but, you know, you only have this tiny little window of time to work with them before they're bored and want to go do, you know, I don't know what they do. Um, but you also have to kind of trick them. There, there's a moment in Black Metal where Johnny Mars, who plays the dad, has a scar or like a, a, a scratch on his face. And um, she was asking me, she's like, what happened to Johnny's face? I'm like, I don't know. So in the scene, I was like, why don't you ask him when you mm-hmm. see him? And so in the in the short, she's genuinely asking him, like, what happened to your face? And so there's little things like that that you can do to really kind of bring the, the reality mm-hmm. to it with kiddos um you had on hellion you had the um opportunity to work with an actor who's not only a really good actor but also a name and i imagine it's actually really helpful to have a name actor um in your film so it's 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 really nice if you can have a name actor who you also respect and who's also really good but um in the short hellion which is sort of like it's more of like kind of a tone poem. It doesn't mm-hmm. go through much of that stuff, but it sets the characters. The dad is played by Johnny Mars, a local actor who we who we love, love. like love. who's tremendous. Yeah. Um, but then you got uh, you have a name actor, Aaron Paul, is in the feature Hellion. How did yeah. all that happen? Um, you know, I when we made the short, I knew I wanted to expand it into a feature. By the time we got a really solid draft of it. Um, I was looking for I was looking for actors and had seen Smashed, the um, James Ponsoltz movie, and just really fell in love with all of the performance in, in that movie because James is so great with actors. Um, but really responded to Aaron and then had seen him in two episodes of Breaking Bad because I couldn't stomach after the bathtub episode. Mm-hmm. I went back and watched it, but um, just really kind of connected with him as an actor and James reached out to him for us and we sent the script through the proper channels and he just responded to the script and then the second person I approached uh, for Hellion was Johnny Mars like mm-hmm. he was the I had written a role for mm-hmm. him because um, he's he's one of the most talented actors I've worked with and so incredibly versatile I mean you can he's like a chameleon that can kind of slip in and out of kind of anything and I trust he's an actor that I trust wholeheartedly with anything I give him. Anything mm-hmm. I throw at him, it's like 
he's going to nail it 150%. It's also got to be a real comfort on the set to have an actor like that to just know we're covered, you know. And you've got also you've got that strong support from somebody who clearly, I mean, when you when you are witnessing Johnny act, he was like this is this is a guy who really knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a comfort to have it. And he's great in both the feature and in the short. So. Yeah, yeah, and two very different characters mm-hmm. in both. Um, yeah, I've worked with him on Hallie in the Short, Black Metal the Short, which he's phenomenal in Hallie in the Feature. I hope, I mean, I hope I get to work with him. Hopefully he won't blow up too much that he'll still work with <laughs> I me. I think he, I think he really could. I, I really, I really <laughs> I think do he too. Could. But he's also like a guy who's like, I think he really also loves to work in this sort of local context and do small movies. I think he really loves that. Yeah. But he is a guy that like Hollywood or TV could take from us easily. Him and Heather Kafka are yeah, two absolutely. like of our, our gems of Texas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, so it, it's not Aaron Paul is not is not like it's not like Johnny Depp who's like come off of a pirate you know working in Pirates of the Caribbean, but he's a guy who's done you know has done other movies. He's done you know bigger stuff. Yeah. Like is that um, is there any kind of sort of thawing things out, breaking it down? Um, not at all, actually. I mean, every what I've learned in being able to work with more actors over the last few years is they're all so different. And how they were. I mean, even working with Josh and Jenna just recently, they're all, and Juliette Lewis, they're all different from one to the next in their process. And so it's those early conversations of kind of figuring out okay, this, you like to improv a little bit, you like to work straight off the script, you like to rehearse, you don't. I mean, it's figuring that out early on in order to like cater to it once you get on set and when you, once you kind of get everybody together. But no, like, and again, no asshole policy like I knew I'd reached out to friends about Aaron before we approached him is he a good human being yes he's a great human being same with Juliet um so knowing that early on it's like okay (laughs) he's not gonna be a jerk on set he's not gonna be a diva by like not even close to it he knew everybody's name on set he was so good with my kids and that was really important with Hallian Mm -hmm. too is like these actors that I'm bringing in I've got five kids to protect many of whom had never made a movie before, and it was really important for me to really make sure that experience for them was one of goodness, and that if they wanted to pursue it, that they had a really amazing experience and not something crushing, where it's mm-hmm. like, movie-making sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was important to me as well, working like in conversations I had with Aaron and Juliet early on before bringing them to set. Um, also, I, I did want to, I felt like, I missed an opportunity to channel the discussion uh, a little bit down when you were talking about the sort of the difficulties or the challenges, um, the sort of unique challenges of being a filmmaker. I wanted to say, I wanted to ask, um, is like a support thing, a support system like what AFS provides with like travel grants and filmmaking grants, is that a kind of thing that um, you think helps? Oh, God, yeah. Are you kidding? (laughs) So I've said this story before, but, like, I made a a feature film back in 1999 on mini-DV, back when mini-DV was brand spanking new. Um, I think we made it for, like, five grand. We got it into the can, and I remember applying for a grant from AFS for the very first time, my first grant I'd applied for, and getting a letter in the mail, like, a few months later of, like, we want to give you $5,000 for post-production and I swear to God like I was crying because it's like oh someone believes in me and someone believes in 
my filmmaking, my stories, me, like it felt, it was such a huge valid, it wasn't the money, it was just like, oh, this really great entity of Texas filmmaking supports me. And that was, I mean, that meant the world to me. I still remember like walking in and seeing on my little thing, the little letter and thinking, oh, I hope we got it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, it's a huge, even like, Hellion, the feature, we got a $5,000 grant. And even with a bigger budgeted film, that money helped a lot. I mean, it's every little tiny $5,000 is $5,000. Dude, it's like, yeah. I mean, that's for the indie film level that we're all at. Like, it's a lot. And then travel grants, like, Mm -hmm. Sundance is freaking expensive. And none of us make a lot of money. And we struggle to pay rent. And so getting $500, $1,000, like, that basically allows us to eat Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah it's kind of huge and then just like the people here at austin film society are just such good human beings who really believe in this community and filmmaking and movies and going to movies and educating people in cinema i mean i every time someone's like oh you live in austin i'm like yeah i live in the best (laughs) place in the world as a filmmaker well, we're 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 so happy. I was exp- I was actually explaining to what AFS does to somebody in Toronto, and he was like, "Okay, no, I got it, I got it. Okay, so you guys, I see what you guys do. So you support these filmmakers, and you know, it's kind of like you spread your you spread your bets out, and then eventually one of them hits, and then they give you a lot of money. Well, it's like, <laughs> like, okay, that's that's your idea about how this wow. works. We are we are really thinking ahead with this one. That, that one of them is going to break out, and then they'll give you millions of dollars. It's like that's." That would be a dumb strategy, yeah. first of all. Well, but then second of all, it's like, no, it's like we want to support these filmmakers because then they're going to make more films. Well, that and even like just supporting the films. I mean, you guys are giving away money to like 30-second experimental films mm-hmm. that aren't going to be playing like huge multiplexes. But it's just believing in that story or that person or that art. Like, that's huge. That's, Yeah. Well, all credit where it's due uh, to the artist services folks here for all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I do want to uh, I want to talk about the new short because yeah. I haven't seen it yet, and we're going to put it on our site. Yeah. Uh, tell oh, us about are? the yeah. Oh, okay. Tell, Sweet. Tell, <laughs> tell us about the rusted. Uh, so the rusted came out of um, Canon does a thing called Project Imagination. Uh, talking to you two. Um, and uh, they've been doing it since, I think, 2012. Bryce Dallas Howard directed the first one. Ron Howard, it was kind of his brainchild come with Canon. Um, and the first two years, they did photographs where consumers submitted photographs as a contest. And they whittled it down. And then from, I think, 10 photographs, inspired a story. And then they made the short films. And then this year was the first year they did trailers. So they had any consumer could submit a 30 second to one minute trailer and they i mean they were across the board like comedies horror films avant-garde experimental type stuff um really really i mean it was nice to see like different stories from all over the u.s and all of these different pockets of um like grabbing your kid to go make a short or really bigger set pieces and then I got hired to write and direct. Josh Hutcherson and his mom, Michelle, produced uh, along with Kevin Shinoy and Frances- Francesca. Um, and uh, I, we kind of honed in on this one trailer that just had a really 
interesting, cool, atmospheric mood and tone and kind of a horror thriller-esque kind of thing, which I was really excited about because I'm not, I love horror and I've never done horror before. Um, and so I really gravitated towards that one because my little, I could kind of go a bunch of different places with it. Um, and then I just wrote a script and we shot it this summer in Los Angeles, my first time not shooting in Texas, which was very strange, but wonderful as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really, it was nice. Like they were like, Hey, you want to make a short this summer? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to make a short this summer. And Sign a, me up. It's a long short. Yeah. It's 20 minutes, three minutes of credit. So mm-hmm. 17 okay. roughly minutes. Um, but yeah, definitely longer, uh, very, um, psychological thriller-ish, but grounded in human drama. I like to, I, I'm, I'm finding that I really love the mashup of, um, with hardcore drama because mm-hmm. that's what I respond to mm-hmm. in the horror space. Yeah, I, I, I'm often like, a, I find I can't enjoy most horror movies because I can't, I just, most contemporary horror movies because I just don't care about the people. It's almost like they're just kind yeah. of mannequins that are stood up to be, you know, decapitated or knocked down and I don't care. I, I really have to care. Exa- well, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. I, for there for to be me, jeopardy. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's any genre. Like, I don't care if it's action or westerns like if i'm not in with the characters and on board with you know emotional journeys with them like i'm out but horror i love love horror and when it's very rare that they get it right um i was just i went to go see the haunting last night at the draft house and reminded you know yes it's a haunted house but it's really this guilt and this torment of this Mm -hmm. woman and her the loss of her mother and whether she had something to do with it I mean that's way more horrific than you know door slamming or weird clinking in the background so yeah that's exactly I mean that's what I respond to and what I love but but yeah that's the that's the outward sort of visual projection and and that's what film ought to do is like give us visual um images for things that that we all understand that we that are internal it it ought to sort of you know externalize these internal conflicts exactly yeah and that's kind of hopefully the approach that i took with this short that there is a lot of kind of history horrific horrific things happening in the history of these siblings that manifest through this house and through strange occurrences I'm going to spring this on you. I didn't, yeah, I didn't talk to you I about this it. ahead of time, but um, this is going to post before Halloween. Is there a, Are there any horror movies that you think that people ought to go out and check out that maybe we've missed? Well, The Haunting is mm-hmm, one sure. I've seen a couple of times now, and it never gets old. It's just, it's so, and it's still terrifying. The camera work in that movie, and this, I mean, it's pretty, I was telling my husband last night, I was like, it's camera work and it's sound, and that's it. Yeah, there's no the effects, sound, there's yeah. nothing. Um, so the haunting I love. I love the innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, the innocence is insane. I, well, I'm a huge turn of the screw. Yeah, fan. Yeah. Have you seen the Nightcomers? No. That's the uh, that's the prequel to to Turn of the Screw, and it's Marlon Brando and Stephanie Beecham play the you know the d- depraved caretaker and the the um, n- like the governess who committed suicide yeah. and it's the whole backstory it's a terrible idea <laughs> and but it's is like, it good no oh <laughs> but you should see it if you should see it if you're a uh, turn of the if I you're a big turn, turn of the screw, of the screw. fan so because then, it's, 
it, it actually takes this really kind of facile approach to the backstory. Yeah. But it's Brando, like, in, like, 1972, you know? So it's kind of worth seeing. Yeah, I would totally watch that. Yeah. I love that whole, like, kind of gothic, like, Jane Eyre. I love that book. And I, I love... Did you see um, Crimson Peak? I, I did. Yeah, what'd you think? Visually stunning. Absolutely yeah, yeah. stunning. Yeah. I, well, I was a huge Devil's Backbone, mm-hmm. going back sure. to, like, yeah, yeah. movies. I, I really gravitate towards, like, the ghost stories. Like, I love the others. I love the orphanage um that's the kind of stuff again kind of going back to that internal like mm-hmm. i love parent child stories and um family dramas rooted in horror i love the babadook last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. two years ago a couple years ago whatever yeah yeah that's and uh, but then i love scream you know i can watch scream on tv anytime it's on or did anything carpenter did you see good night by any chance I did. I did. We don't have to talk about it on, on okay. camera, but yeah, we'll do yeah. that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Wes Craven, uh, I love. I love. I love. 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 John Carpenter, um, De Palma. Yeah. Yeah. These are all. These are all great people. <laughs> <laughs> you should see all of their movies. You Ginger really should, Snaps. actually. Did you yeah. see Ginger yeah, Snaps? Yeah, I loved that movie. My girlfriend introduced that to me. Oh, the Howling. John right? Sales wrote that. I wasn't allowed to see that, and I saw that like accidentally on television when my parents probably weren't watching that movie is it's racy there's a lot of really good stuff about that i I watched that again after not having seen that in a lot of years and like was struck first of all and i mentioned this to john sales when he was here it's like i wish that there could be two john sales because i don't want you to stop making these movies but i wish that the person who wrote like piranha and the howling was still able to go out there and have like this career writing these kind of movies because you're so good at that but the thing that I started noticing about that movie is, like, all the sound design and everything is great in that movie and really kind of ahead of its time. Uh-huh. But then also, like, Dee Wallace uh, is really good. She's so good. The very last shot, like, the very end of that movie is crushing. She's It great. is so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so this will be, like, our consensus pick here. Go yeah. watch The Howling. The Howling. And, like, watch it and, like, turn it up and, like, sit in the dark and really get, like, freaked out by it. But, again, like, and I'll, I'll shut up after this, but any, mo- any horror film that I... I am a weeping mess or crying at the end of, which I was in the howling. Mm-hmm. Like my, I have little tears in my eyes. That I feel like has done its job. It's reached you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it hit my heart and kind of like stabbed it a little bit. Well, that and I think that's so important for films to actually reach us because it's not really just films and like as we were saying, it's not really just a way for people to go and make money and have people buy tickets. It's a way for people to to take these things that are inside us, make it visual, and make it uh, something that we can all share, that we can sit in a room like this and we can all share together. And then it br- can bring us closer together. I think that's it's one of the greatest experiences that we can have is to sit in a room with other people and share something. Uh, and then maybe we go and we go out in the lobby and we talk about it and we make new friends. It's that, that kind of sharing and that kind of getting together is more important than any kind of mansion or speedboat that we're ever going to make, making movies or doing whatever else we do with our lives. I love that. I think you should end there because that's beautiful. I think we should end there, Aaron. (laughs) Thank you, Kat. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And uh, uh, on our site, we're posting that short. So turn out the lights. I love it. Turn up the sound. Have good sound on and then watch The Rusted. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs)